This podcast is a presentation of University of California Television. Like what you hear? Consider making a donation at uctv.tv slash donate so we can continue to bring you more great programs. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks, Pascal. It's been uh, an honor. I, uh, yeah, I study, I'm the mandatory entomologist for these talks, I guess. So here I am, glad to be here. I, um... I'm uh, going to talk off of a, a, a publication that came out this year, Ant Colonies Building Complex Organizations with Minuscule Brains and No Leaders, which was written for the Journal of Ir- Organization Design, an invited article. Uh, it's a business journal, and it was published alongside uh, responses by various business leaders who mostly like this idea, so I'm, I'm pleased to have passed muster in that community at least. Um, and when I talk about ants, and people think, well, this is a little bizarre, uh, I have a response, and I wrote it up as a paper here called Apples and Oranges, Ants and Humans, The Misunderstood Art of Making Comparisons. And I point out to people that comparing things that are identical is extremely boring. <laughs> and real advances in science come from finding points of comparison between things that are ordinarily thought of as different. So ants obviously work very well in this regard. So consider things like, uh, you know, we're going to compare roads, uh, highways of ants and humans. Well, there's a a latitude for any word. So roads built by the early Romans in the upper part of this picture were different from the roads built uh, by the Incas in the lower part of this picture. And you have to allow for this latitude to get all kinds of interesting phenomena. So you have roads built by ants. And in here, a case, I have uh, two uh, different kinds of ants with different traffic rules. In the upper part of the picture is an ant. They don't have the left-hand, right-hand side of the road going on like we do with our highways. Uh, the ant at the top has is a marauder ant. It has a rule where the ants carrying food go down the middle, and the ants that are outbound go down the sides. The uh, leaf-cutting ants, shown in the bottom part of the picture, have a different rule because their leaves are large. The segments they're carrying are large and unmanageable. They spread out. All the ones carrying leaves spread across the trail, and the outbound ants scoot between them. So these patterns emerge. How about uh, the roads themselves? Well, I showed you uh, the, the Incan crossing the river picture of that uh, suspended path. Ants have to deal with the same problem when they get from place to place. For example, species living in the canopy uh, will build suspension bridges. Ants will use their own bodies for this. You get stuck in these bridges, it's got to be the worst job in the ant colony because you're (laughs) there for days and days and everyone else gets to go over and eat some fabulous thing in that next tree. So what are the things that are interesting about societies for ants and humans. And that has to do with complexity and population to me. Uh, societies form, uh, I've described it in, for two primary reasons, to protect, pro- provide for the individuals, and protect the individuals. And so I'm going to be looking mostly at the provision side of this uh, equation with the examples I give. I talk about ant warfare, a very sexy subject, but it, all kinds of things going on there but in a Scientific American article, if you want to look that up. 
But I've been fortunate enough in looking for ants and other creatures to have lived among a number of tribal and hunter-gatherer groups and thinking about them and about the societies of different kinds of organisms. And I've uh, come to the conclusions that in matters of organization and complexity, uh, societies increase in these uh, ways as they grow larger in both ants and humans, and probably across the boards. There are similarities in the way complexity emerges as societies grow bigger. This is something I've had the good luck to talk to Irv DeVore about for the last couple of years of his life when I'd visit him in Cambridge, and we'd talk about his baboon work and hunter-gatherer work and so forth, and ants, and he, he tolerated this kind of conversation. It was great. So the fun thing among the ants is to look for the species that have tiny societies, to look at this range from small to large and how complexity emerges. You have to find the ones with the tiny societies. And that involves getting a crack team of uh, biologists, mostly retired, to join me in different places. This is Ecuador. And pick up piles of mud and leaves and look for specks that move. And some of these societies are just a few individuals and very hard to track down. This is one of them there, Acanthum myrmex. Just a half dozen of ants, uh, ant workers and a queen and a hollow twig. And uh, when you uh, look at societies of that size, for example, really interesting things uh, come to your mind after a while. You realize that ants do have personalities. There are differences between the ants. There are certain individuals that are key individuals that... It's like at home. Who does the dishes every day? And they try to nudge you to do the dishes. You can see that ant there that does the work, and everyone else is lying around too much. (laughs) There are no leaders as such in ants. That's a big thing that I'll return to. But that's the way it was for hunter-gatherer groups when they were nomadic and spread over the landscape as well. No true leaders. So the queen of the ant is famous, but she leads nothing. She's doing nothing but lying around and laying eggs in the dark underground. It's not the best job. Tempo, one of the things we don't think about very much, but human societies show patterns in tempo as uh, concentrations of people grow larger and larger. If you are from a small town and you go to New York, it seems insane. Everyone's running all the time. What's this about? Uh, well, if you live in a small town, there's no reason to rush. You know who's there at the garage, you know who's going to be at the coffee shop. There's no reason to run. But in big cities, all kinds of things are happening. There's more to gain. There are, there are, there's a lectures about ants every once in a while, if you track me down. So this pattern is found in ants as well. The slowest moving ant is this one, the mud ant. And then has societies of just a few dozen individuals and they are so slow, they cover themselves with mud and move in slow motion. Turns out, what does this ant eat? We discovered snails. This is a snail trying to make a dramatic left-hand turn to escape. Long story. Societies get bigger and things accelerate. The ants in your kitchen are moving fast. There's lots of them. And one of the things they're doing is searching for work. Ants don't have leaders, so how do they figure out what to do for the day? They're actually monitoring the ants that are going by them and uh, actually assessing what everyone else is doing and choosing their work on that basis, tending the young, cleaning the nest, foraging, and so forth. There's still no leaders, though, in these large societies, different from ours. Communications. 
When you're in a very small society of ants, there's very little communication that goes off. People, they, the ant people, to me, <laughs> can go out and get things done on their own. And so this particular kind of ant is one that kills a kind of millipede covered with toxic hairs. It has long jaws, uh, teeth that it can use to hold these hairs. It doesn't need any help. It comes back and carries these little millipedes by itself. As societies get bigger and bigger, you get more communication. So you have interactions. You see them between ants on trails all the time, stopping and connecting with each other. You get larger and larger societies and big densities of ants, like with the uh, army ants, and you have very rapid communication back and forth. And you end up actually with something really interesting with these large societies. You get a, lot of, a big pool of lazy ants that do very little. And it turns out that these ants are important in times of crisis. They're an excess labor force during times of battle and so forth. But ants are actually communicating all the time, obviously laying down pheromone trails to gather food and things like that. Specialization. Small hunter-gatherer groups, you couldn't afford to specialize. People knew how to uh, do virtually everything required in the society, and you take all your tools with you. Here's a scion, a bushman, with one of his sticks. The stick was an essential scion tool. Everybody had a particular stick that they used for all kinds of tasks. Uh, so you'd have a tool set. Ants with small societies also have a kind of a tool set that they use, and... Uh, this particular species is quite fun because it actually catches something called a springtail, which hops very fast. It's like the rabbit of the insect world. And the, uh, this creature has jaws that are very long with pitchforks at the end, and it walks up to the correct distance and slams the pitchfork in and catches these things before they can jump away. This makes it very practical to eat, though, because the jaws are way out here and your mouth is over here. So the ant has a Swiss army ant kind of thing going on. We're going to open up its jaws, and there's a separate set of teeth that serve as independent jaws for chewing. It flails around the longer jaws and knocks everybody about, but it still allows you to eat. The biggest, most widespread form of division of labor with ants is age. We have a similar sort of thing with age, of course, with division of labor. Young individuals, this light-colored individual here, will stay among the young, the uh, larvae in this case, and help raise them, and only later go out and forage. Ants, though, often, particularly in large societies, have division of labor de dependent on size. They're actually born to certain sizes, creating a number, of, the right number of individuals of each size is something a colony has to do. So you have this ant, Phytologetan, where there's a little ant riding on the head of the big ant. The, little, the big ant is about 500 times as large as the little ant, and there are all kinds of sizes in between, and they do different things. What does the big ant do? That's a lot of investment for the colony. It does a number of things, but one of them, my favorite, is that it serves as heavy-duty road equipment, actually clearing things like this log twig from the highway that we talked about. Another favorite one, if you've ever gone to Costa Rica and looked for army ants, are these things. Most of the army ants are swarming along, looking like normal ants. But you see these white-headed creatures. They are pale uh, orange or red-headed ones. And you look closely, and they have these long jaws. And you think, oh, I want to touch that. 
And uh, just as you can tell a samurai by his sword, you can often tell what an ant does by its morphology. And this one is built to be a samurai. It actually, this is a picture of it in my finger, probably biting down to the bone. Very exciting. Well built for this task. The tip of the jaw is actually bent like a fish hook. You see a little life blade at the, knife blade at the end. It's actually exactly like a fish hook. Assembly lines and teamwork. Well, this same army ant colony has a number of different uh, casts that are of other sizes and shapes. And uh, what happens is most of them are kind of the size of the ants you see all going off the screen there to the uh, right. That's kind of a modest size one. And they can't, when these army ants are catching prey and chopping them up, this is a bit of a yummy cockroach, they can't lift it. These little guys can't quite lift it. But one of the big ones you see here up above comes along eventually, lifts up the prey, and the smaller one grabs the trailing end and makes sure it doesn't drag. So they function as a very efficient team for moving foods along. Now, we didn't know what the smallest ants in the colony did for a long time. But it turns out you have to look closely. There is a third ant here. And this ant is actually, the small ant is actually a living road fill. Anytime there's a pothole, those ants lie down and fill it up. Okay, the humans would use concrete. They use personnel. Just a difference in approach. Now, this teamwork requires colonies that are large. Ants with smaller colonies can't do it or do it very poorly. This is an ant with a rather small colony size, and uh, they're having a great struggle trying to carry this caterpillar back home. It's actually been twisted and turned so much, I don't think anything's going to be left of it. So you need a large colony for things like that to emerge, complex teamwork, and for things like assembly lines. The ultimate example of assembly line in the ants are the leafcutter ants. Hopefully you've seen those in Costa Rica or elsewhere. Uh, They cut leaves, a certain size of an ant cut leaves. A slightly larger ant carries the leaves back. And uh, most people would assume that the leaves are food, but they're not. They're actually agricultural ants. Inside the nest, they are raising a fungus that is fully domesticated, specific to this species, and in fact, specific to this colony. Each colony has its own variant. And uh, the smaller and smaller ants chop up the leaves, turn it into a mulch, and raise the fungus on it. And a complex uh, assembly line featuring a domestication. It's really a fascinating story because domestication occurred of this fungus about 20 million years ago. We know this now. Uh, And with this precursors of the ancestral forms are still around in different places, including this ant here. It is not, it has very small colonies. It cannot grow these giant agricultural, uh, units of hundreds of pounds of fungus. It just has a very small colony. It collects fungi from nature and grows them. And those fungi can return to nature. So they're not domesticated yet. Much like, uh, you know, horticultural people. Uh, and there's even a species of herdsman ant in Malaysia that raise a domesticated aphid that only lives with them. They raise them just as if they were cattle. They carry them with them. Everywhere they go, they protect them. The whole thing. Another fun thing about ants is that they have market economies. This has been studied by Debbie Castle. Uh, and this consists of the ants 
foraging, coming back with different products, say uh, nectar or bits of insects and so forth, and they hawk them in areas within the nest. These are fire ants. And the ants coming to tend the brood come out and pick what they need for the day. And the ants that uh, get those things taken from them, the popular products, go out and collect more. The other ones switch jobs or take a break for the day. So it works out that the colony adjusts to get what gets what it needs as a whole uh, over the course of each day. Infrastructure. Ant infrastructure is fascinating. A small colony like the very small one I showed you there in a hollow twig doesn't need a home. It just lives in a bit of a twig. You can get basic uh, colony structures like this. This is uh, this was down in Argentina. I, I thought it was fascinating. Very small colony. Uh, probably not much going on there, but it had sort of like a Greek villa effect because it has that courtyard in the middle with palm trees. So I don't know. People will have to study that. But then you get these huge colonies, like the leafcutter ant colonies themselves. 20 million individuals or more can be in some of these, or at least several million. And they have colonies that can be as big as this whole room and go down 20, 30 feet. This is what one looks like from the ground. This is the kind of self-organized structure that is created without a plan or a leader that uh, makes for a lot of different features you don't think of. There's an air conditioning system here. The entrances around the perimeter of this nest have hot air rising out of them. If you put hair, your face over them, you can feel the hot air. And cool air rise, descends down in the middle of the, the nest and cools the young. Go down and down and down, and you find that they are burying their trash 20 to 30 feet underground. That's like a mile in ant terms. Uh, with inside chambers big enough for a child to get inside. This is a huge amount of labor for an ant. Um, and so they're bearing them, they're investing in this kind of thing, the way we invest in, say, getting rid of uh, nuclear waste. And the ants that do this are yet another cash, they're another uh, workforce. These squads of garbage collectors minimize contact with other workers, and they've been doing this for 20 million years and investing much more in public safety and health than we have. So we might learn something from the ants. And I'll finish up with a couple quick comments here on <laughs> stigmergy versus direct communication. Stigmergy is adding to something in the environment that's been built uh, step by step. And the Termites have the best pictures for this. And this is the termite adding a bit of mud. Ants do the much the same thing when building their nests underground. And step by step, a wall gets built up without any particular ant doing much at all. In fact, the ants move and work in series parallel. No one needs to complete a job. Other ants come along and finish it. This idea shows up in humans and places like Wikipedia and so forth, a few kinds of human situations. Then there's the direct communication thing. The direct communication between ants occurs all the time. My favorite is when you're walking across the lawn and you step. You are smashing ants underground. You are causing a 9-11 for the ant colony. And underground, ants emit this call. This is the alarm call of the ants saying, dig us up. This is their one motive, uh, having a vocalization Okay, taking charge in ants can happen. You, they don't have teams, but they can take charge for a moment. And one 
sort of situation is tandem running and this kind of ant where one ant will follow another to a new nest site and they will check out the different nest sites and when the right number of ants have arrived at a single site, uh, they choose that site. It's called quorum sensing and the entire colony selects that site and instantly moves there very efficiently. There are all kinds of other kind of emergent things we call them swarm intelligence. They have to do with the way that swarms actually work in army ants, where there's no leader and a helicopter over this swarm that can be millions of ants, and yet the ant swarm moves in the most effective direction, where there's the most food, because the ants in that side of the swarm get the most excited. And, you know, to a Borg, you know the Star Trek Borg? The idea, they had the swarm intelligence type of thing going on. They would think the idea of having a leader would be ridiculous. I mean, can't you just blow up the White House and everything would fall apart? You can step on a big colony of ants trails all day and they'll just keep going at it. So complexity, we usually think about complexity when it comes to primates in terms of social connections, power relationships, personal relationships. The Borg would say this is a waste of time. What ants do for complexity is look, uh, build emergent social utility. They're building things. Their output are products. They're building things like these road fail, uh, roadways, infrastructure, public health things. No chimpanzee worries about public health, but ants invest a lot in it. So all these kinds of patterns, I think, make ants really good models for humans. So who's this guy with the ant obsession? It's me. And I'm not talking about ants being profound in any particular way, because they are not intelligent when they do these things. But when you have societies that are big enough, you have certain kinds of problems emerge, and ants have to deal with those problems, and sometimes they do that in ways that make sense to humans. Thanks very much. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, Visit us online at uctv.tv.